So we, we all grow up trying to figure out who we are. And the beauty of trying to grow up and to be an adult, the beauty of it is it's kind of like trying on different clothing because you don't have to keep it. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Today we've got a sponsor, guys, and I have hesitated to bring any sponsorship onto the podcast just because I want any product or supplement or whatever it might be to really be aligned with our holistic values that build resilience and allow us to be our best self in the world. But this product caught my eye and I've been able to test it out. And off the back of that, I just want to show you the offer. So give us one minute to let you know what it is. So, I mean, I'm running a business. Today's world is hectic and I'm doing new things all the time and they do make me feel anxious. I know some of my friends make me sound like I'm Teflon and I can cope with anything, but actually I get great anxiety doing new things all the time and I've just got to manage it and I try and manage it in holistic, healthy ways as much as possible, such as exercise, those sorts of things. But I've been reading up on the benefits of CBD oil and the, the benefits include things like pain relief, reducing inflammation, and just helping take the edge off that anxiety. But they just don't, but the, the oil just doesn't taste great. I've tried it before and it just, oh, it doesn't taste great. And so Bud's Life have come up with some CBD patches. So essentially in the same way as if you're quitting smoking, you might put a patch on. Essentially you put a patch on and you just wear it, you put it on, don't even think about it. You can shower with it on. And essentially it's releasing the benefits of CBD oil into your system without you even thinking about it. So I've tested the patches and I really, I mean, I've really felt a noticeable decrease in just that anxious energy that I constantly have. And it's just given me more of a grounded feeling and allowed me to just slow down and create more conscious thought and conscious decisions. Now, if you're one of those people that needs some sort of anxiety or pain relief, have a hard time sleeping well, and you're looking for something natural, something that's actually healthy for your body, then Bud's Life CBD is the way to go, in my opinion. They really make top quality stuff, and they just make it easier to, to try this CBD craze and uh, get the benefits that are being talked about all over the place. Now, if you're one of our listeners, they're offering Adversity to Advantage listeners 15% off your next order when you use the promo code AA, which is hilarious because it's not Alcoholics Anonymous people. AA is adversity to advantage, essentially, but 15% off using the promo code AA at checkout. So once again, budslife.co.uk, B-U-D-S-L-I-F-E.co.uk. Give it a go. If it's something you've been curious about, I've really seen the benefits.
Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm, I'm very excited today. We have got Tony Lloyd. Now he's got quite a story. We're already getting all lost in uh, getting to know each other, which has been so much fun. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Petra. No problem. I'm excited to have you on the show. So give our listeners just a little bit of context, a little bit of background to, to you and I guess what's led you into what you're doing today. Right. So I was, uh, well, depends on where you start. It's always hard to define yourself, right? Because you are so many people, right? Uh, But I think, yeah, right. Uh, But I think the things I'm known for is I was a uh, Fortune 500 executive with some global brands that people would probably recognize. Uh, I left that career and started my own company. Uh, The company is called Culture Shift Company, so it's about how do we shift the culture, uh, and that's personal culture, family culture, et cetera. Uh, And then I also, I have a podcast called Social Entrepreneur. I'm a best-selling author. I'm a TEDx speaker and those kinds of things. And the the way that I bring all that together is I say um, I help purpose-driven business leaders to thrive so that they can connect and contribute more. I mean, that's quite a statement in itself, isn't it? And um, it is. but, but also quite a shift from what we, the right. stereotype of what a Fortune 500 exec might look like or what that, that approach right. might be to, to right. what you're talking about now. And before right. we go into that, um, the kind of journey, because I'm fascinated by that, I'd love to get some context to what was it like growing up for you? Like, <laughs> like were you always, I don't know, how does somebody from university or as a teenager go, I want to work for a fortune. I want to be an exec. Did you always, right. is that what you wanted to be? Oh, the- not even <laughs> close. No, no, no. Actually, at some point in my career, somebody said, uh, oh, we have an opening for a manager. And I was like, I don't want to manage other people. That's crazy. I don't want to do that. Okay, you wanted uh, no responsibility. No, no. I was having a good time doing what I was doing. Um, well, I, I grew up in Arkansas. So if you, you know, I don't know how much time you want to spend on, you know, I was born poor and here I am. But, uh, you know, I grew up in Arkansas. And if you know anything about the United States, it's like the third world country in a way of the United States. Now, now that's not saying actually it's not that bad, but, but um, you know, they're often like number 49 in the list of 50 states for things like education or, you know, on income or those kinds of things. You know, in fact, uh, I used to tell a joke that uh, the state seal for the Department of Education in Arkansas, it just said, thank God for Mississippi, you know, because we were number 49. So, so you know, so I grew up in, in but, you know, fairly healthy environment. My, uh, my dad had this really strong work ethic. Uh, he, ha- he had come from really extreme circumstances. You know, he was uh, just uh, very, very poor as a child uh, and, and had this drive and this determination to not be that. And so uh, when he was a young man, he went into the army for a few years and they taught him something about how to be an adult. Uh, and when he came out of that, he had a skill set and he used that skill set and this drive and determination in order to drag his family from poverty to solidly, we'll call it lower middle class, right? So we weren't ever... An impressive uh, kind of move. It is, it is. And reflect on where people came from in that way, yeah. Right, right. It is, uh, and and I admire that about him, right? So, um, So I really love that about 
you know, my father and who he was, he also, because he was so strong and all that, he also was angry and there were some other things like that that go with that personality type. Uh, my mother was just this and is this big hearted, kind person. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 60 years old and so are 61 now. And so I remember when in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, there were these, uh, these protests and the police met these young black protesters with fire hoses and, go and uh, dogs, German shepherds, to attack these young black children who were protesting for civil rights. And so my mother would make sure I'm in front of the television watching the news and she's narrating over my shoulder saying, look, this is what they're going through. This is what the struggle is about. This is what they're trying to achieve. This is why this is important. And these are kids not much older than you. And so that was her. So I grew up with this sort of combination of this iron-willed father who was like driving and determined and my mother who... She was just as iron-willed, but she was iron-willed in this very progressive kind of way. So, so those two things in my background really shape a lot of who I am. Do you think, what did that give you? Because with that kind of contrast, um, people could be, turn out super balanced or you we're know, <laughs> one way or the other, or probably a little bit of both. Like, ooh, try right. this on for size and move right. somewhere else before finding some kind of balance. I mean... Right. A lot of the, the, the premise of this podcast is around resilience. And right. is it something we're born with or do we right. develop it? And I'm curious what, what that parenting maybe gave you. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, there's so many things. Uh, but, you know, my, uh, yeah, I mentioned that my father was, uh, he was angry and he was violent. And, you know, like the, the, the worst sentence in the world was, wait till your father gets home. Right. It's like, oh, my God, no, you know, uh, so from that really. And I was the third child. Uh, and and so violence is passed down. Right. So my older brothers would learn violence in the home and they would pass it down to each other. And then I was at the bottom of the rankings. And so I caught it all. You know, so there was a part of me that I had to learn how to be within a crazy environment. Uh, and, and, you know, again, I don't want to overemphasize I came from this broken home and it's all terrible and all that. I think I, I have a lot of privilege and especially as over time I've interviewed people from all over the world or I've traveled all over the world and seen what real extreme poverty looks like or what real violence looks like. Sure. So I don't want to overemphasize that, you know, I, I grew up poor, or I grew up in this horrible circumstances. Uh, but I do think that there was enough of that in my home that it taught me something about how to hold a little tiny space for me. And that uh, no matter what was happening around me, that I was okay. So you sort of learned to sit with yourself to teach yourself that things were okay. Not so, so that inner resilience uh, yes. rather than needing to get it from outside. Right. Well, I, so, okay. I, if, if that's the message you received, I probably lied then because I will say <laughs> there, there was, there was a lot of me that learned to get along by pleasing others. Right. Got it. And, and, and the radar is always out. I'm always looking what's happening around me. Uh, yes. And, and, and then also, though, uh, you know, learning to make other people laugh 
or learning to help people to be comfortable. Uh, but it was, it, it did cause me to be almost extremely other oriented. And, um, and then part of where that showed up later in my life, and we could talk about that, is that I didn't really spend time with self-care. I spent a lot of time with other care. And, uh, and, that, and that is not a great lesson to learn. No lesson in the extreme is ever a great lesson learned. It's not enough. It's not enough in, in isolation. I resonate so much with what, what you're saying because I grew up in communes and there were so many different things going on. The, the, you had to follow group think and, and different um, circumstances in order to essentially stay safe. And yes. so what you're saying about hypervigilance, being always aware and being this, what on the outside might look like a great quality, which is a peacemaker, the person right. who brings the humor, the person who makes sure that everyone else is okay, as you're describing. And while that can seem like a great quality on the outside, internally, if you haven't learned the skill of, well, what do I need? Or having a voice, that's the bit right. that I've had my whole adult life to try and figure out. Is how, right. how do you have a voice and feel confident in it when you've suppressed that for the sake of other people, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And so this led you somewhere. So this, I mean, I'm just thinking this Fortune 500 exec, like you went on this trajectory of like, please people, leadership, I don't know, something right. got you there. Yeah. Tell us about right. that. Yeah, so, um, well, I'll just, uh, so I, I started uh, very young and I had a technical degree and I worked in sort of an engineering sort of uh, field. So I worked in a, in a tech, technical consulting field. It's called health physics. It has to do with the measurement of radiation and uh, contamination and setting environmental measures and that kind of thing. So I, uh, I, I was able to use my sort of my left brain, very logical, very mathematical kind of uh, uh, skill set in order to uh, do that kind of technical consulting. Uh, but I also was like my dad, I was very ambitious. I, not ambitious as in I want to crawl over you to get somewhere, but this desire to improve in life. I had this strong growth mindset. And so I was a constant reader, a constant consumer of content. Uh, and one of the things that I would do is I would look for the next opportunity and one of the opportunities that came along was somebody said, we need somebody to teach the things that you do. And so I landed this role where I started, at, you know, in a corporate setting, teaching other people these skill sets that I had uh, around or using the skill sets that I had to teach people around things around technical content. Uh, but what that did was it helped me to explore then is how does one learn? And then I started uh, in more of an instructional design perspective. So I started teaching people how to teach, which, uh, which then led to sort of like, okay, well, we're teaching people how to learn, but really that's not the business we're in. How do we teach people to improve? Like if you want, if you're in a corporate setting, how do you create performance improvement? Not just, you know, uh, we completed a training program. The, com checking the box and completing a training program really isn't performance improvement. It is one skill set in possibly how you, one goes about improving performance. So those things sort of went hand in hand in hand and along the way I was picking up certifications and a degree and all these other things to just sort of figure out 
how do humans thrive? How do humans become better at the thing that they do? Uh, and I was doing consulting work with a lot of companies around how do you take your training department and flip that into a performance improvement department? And, and that uh, uh, training is just, you know, it's like people often say we have a training problem and that's like saying I have an aspirin problem, right? You don't say I have an aspirin problem. You say I have a headache. So there's a thing I want to solve. How do I solve it? Training is one of those pieces. So I was helping corporations to do this sort of thing. I was doing it as a consultant. Uh, I called on a company called John Deere and John Deere makes, uh, they're most famous for their agricultural equipment. Uh, you know, green tractors, and uh, but they also make construction equipment and consumer equipment, and they have a global presence. Uh, they sell OEM parts. They create engines and transmissions and things. They sell them around the world. And so it's a global company, great, exciting company, uh, and they recruited me in. And when they recruited me in, they gave me an opportunity to do basically anything I wanted. Uh, it, you know, it was, um, uh, I, I want to stop for a second because I, I want to give you a chance to jump in, but I'll, I'll just, you know, kind of leave this here that in my interview going into this fortune 500 company, this company, John Deere, um, the president of the company asked me a question. He said, so what do you do? And I said, well, and I had sort of built this little table in my head. And so I said, your job description says this, and I have this experience, and your, your job description says that, and I have this experience. And he just stopped me in the middle of a sentence. He goes, wait a minute, I didn't ask you what my job description says. I asked you what you can do. And I was like, well, that's a completely different question, isn't it? And so, you know, I, I just gave him an honest answer. I just said, look, if I'm looking at your company from the inside out, here are the things that I see as opportunities for growth and to, you know, become more customer centric and to uh, build your content and share it around the world. And, you know, there are these ideas. And so when I got finished saying all that, what he said to me was, look, when you come to work for us, and this isn't a question of if you will, when you come to work for us, if you can do it, don't ever be limited by your job description. And so I went, okay, yeah, yes. So uh, that was how I went from sort of this technical background to a consulting background to beginning my career within a Fortune 500 company. And so that sounds thrilling. Like that sounds exciting. It's almost like they've, they've noticed you, you've been seen, right, for your capabilities and been right. given a, a fucking big opportunity, right? Um, right. But, but I know, having been in certain opportunities myself, that usually we have almost equal parts excitement versus total terror, right? right. <laughs> Often. <laughs> That's just my experience. Right. Um, right. But I'm wondering what that, what like the external, how that compared to maybe the internal experience of some of this. Right. right. You know, I think that uh, there, were, there were so many things happening at the same time. So one, I was really excited about the whole world of startups. Uh, now, keep in mind, this was about 1998, and the dot-com bubble had just started growing. And around 2000, 2001, it eventually popped. But this was when people were, and, I'll, and I'm using air quotes with my fingers here, so for people who can't see it, we were saying things like the information superhighway, right? Or the World Wide Web. And, and, and so it was like there was this new mind-blowing idea about how one goes about 
with uh, business and how one reaches customers and internal employees and, and global employees that are scattered all around the world. And there was this new idea really about these fast growing internet based startups. Mm. And so what we ended up doing there was we ended up uh, introducing the idea of a corporate university that lived online, which today, you know, everybody goes, yeah, of course you would. But at the time, this was so breakthrough. This was so revolutionary. It was so just mind-blowing. And, and so uh, the level of pushback and conflict and, you know, there were people who were dug into positions for their entire lives that this was going to disrupt their lives. And so all those things were happening while at the same time, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I am full of energy. I am surrounded by smart people. We can figure this thing out. And, and uh, I, I'll tell you the perfect analogy for this in the movie, in the first Indiana Jones movie. Um, there's a scene where like the Ark of the Covenant is in the back of this truck and the truck is driving away and it's going to Cairo. And so Indiana Jones, you know, he yells to his friends, he goes, you, you get to Cairo, I'm going to follow that truck. And they said, what are you going to do? And he jumps on this horse and he goes, I have no idea. I'm making this up. Right? So that's really the world I was living in. I was living in this world of chaos and conflict and unknown and, you know, a little bit of an imposter syndrome because I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing and I, I'm just making this up, but I'm saying it with confidence and people seem to be responding. So, so let's just go do this crazy thing. And, uh, and there is something beautiful about a big, crazy idea that it, it builds energy around itself and by sort of living in that world of the unknown and the possible, it really helped the company to go through this breakthrough thing. Now, uh, you know, again, I, I just want to emphasize this one thing, though, before we go any further. You know, I am not sponsored by John Deere. Uh, they may tell that story differently than I do. I am not their brand representative. So, you know, I'm just telling the story from my perspective. And so I'm curious... Um Given what you were saying earlier about being that hypervigilant kind of peacemaker kid, yeah. Um, yeah. How, like, was there anywhere in your life at this stage where you could fully be yourself? Whether mm -hmm. it was um, that you could express your, your fears or your imposter syndrome or what the fuck am I doing? Or like, was there any, what, did you know how to be true? Did you <laughs> know who you were at that stage? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think that... It has, it has been a lifetime of work to be authentic, right? To, to really show up as vulnerable and real and just me. Uh, and I, I, uh, I once went through a workshop where uh, they, they, they say, okay, write, you know, do these things and write your values and then write this mission statement. And it was very, you know, it was sort of a personal development workshop. And so, um, you know, there are like key words that you drop into this mission statement. And I said, you know, I am a blah, 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 and I do blah, 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 so that blah, blah, blah. And the sure. facilitators of the workshop were very insightful. And they said, you know, I'd like you to drop in the word authentic. I am an authentic blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And they said, we can see that you're good. We just don't know that we see you. 
And was that the first time that you'd almost had that mirror held up to you? I'd say, yeah, I, I think, I think that, um, uh, so we, we all grow up trying to figure out who we are and the beauty of trying to grow up and to be an adult, the beauty of it is it's kind of like trying on different clothing because you don't have to keep it. Right. So there's, you know, if, if my wife gave me a gift of a brand new shirt and it was a style I'd never worn before, I never really had, you know, I don't have to own it. All I have to do is just sort of try it on and walk around the house and just wear it inside and not have anybody else see it. And, and, and figure out, is this me or not? Is this something that belongs to me or is this something that doesn't belong to me? And that's part of growing up. I'd say probably my my first step in growing up was in 1992. Uh, I was in a very rough relationship. I asked the woman I was in the relationship with at the time uh, to go with me to couples counseling. And she said yes. And I showed up for the appointment and she didn't. And I just said, you know, obviously I need help. And so for the next two years, I worked with that counselor that I went to and she really just helped me to just sort of rip myself open and to dig all that stuff out and to sort of extricate, here's my stuff, and then to sort through it and then to just figure out how much of this stuff belongs to me and how much of this is stuff I'm carrying around uh, that isn't really me. It's not mine. And so I can only own the things that come from me. So that was the beginning. And then from that point until today, over the years, I have almost always been in counseling of some, some kind. So I have a growth mindset. I really want to be the best human being I can be. Uh, but that was the beginning of it. Uh, and then, you know, I mentioned that workshop where you said, was that the first time? I'd say it's not the first time, but it was very pointed. Yeah, it yeah. was very, you know, are you authentic, yes or no? And yeah. so that word, authenticity, I didn't want it. It was handed to me by someone else. But once I had it in my hand, I said, you know what? That's mine. I've got to own that. I've got to figure out what that looks like. And I've got to figure out when I'm not being authentic with myself first. And that can and be then, the wake-up call in a way is, is thinking, geez, I've, I haven't been myself or I've been this other person to, right. in order to survive for, for yeah. countless years, right? Yes, um, yes. So I'm curious about any sort of rock-bottom moments or catalyst mm. moments that ended up changing things. Um, a lot of people, it seems, it's almost unfortunate that we, many of us need that sort of rock-bottom, uh, face-in-the-mud sort of moment to, to begin to change. It sounds like, already you're changing in, in being your authentic self or learning kind of what that is. But talk us through maybe the, some of the trickiest times for you. Yeah, I, I, I want to, um, the thing I'm trying, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to be on your uh, show today, Petra, is I wanted to, I, I am trying to work through a story. Uh, you know, there's something that happened to me in 2018. And what I find is that stories have this way of becoming more true the more you tell it. Like there are these nuggets that you dig out. Absolutely. And so, say that again. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I have this story that I'm trying to tell, and so I want to tell it to you, and so your audience is going to hear me working through it. And I'm not sure I know what this story is yet, but, I, but I'll just tell it as I know it today. 
Right. I love that. Let's do the rough version. Let's do it. All right. So in um, December of 2018, I went to breakfast with a friend of mine. And this friend asked me a very dangerous question. And I wasn't quite sure how to answer it. And the question he asked me was, how are you? <laughs> and the reason... Mind-blowing, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and the reason that that question was so dangerous was I had to figure out if I was going to tell him the truth. And he said the same, I'm fine. Yes, right. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and in an effort... Mm. Go I'm ahead. Not, what was the truth? I'm excited already by this. Story. Right. So <laughs> the truth was I am depressed. Mm. And then the second question was even more dangerous because he asked me, what does that look like? And the answer I gave him scared me and it scared him. And the answer was, I don't think I want to be alive. And, and what I want to emphasize right away is I was not thinking about harming myself. And in okay. fact, mm. and in fact, I don't even know that I wanted to die. But when it came to being alive, I wasn't really sure I understood the point. Sure. It's just the hamster wheel or, uh, yeah, just repeat. Exactly. So, you know, um, one, one of the things is uh, I, I live a fairly socially isolated life, right? Uh, my, my wife has a chronic illness and a compromised immune system, so I don't get out a lot. Um, now she, she, you know, she's fine and she's very independent and, you know, she's quite capable of a lot of things. Uh, but like for, for instance, right now there is this, you know, COVID-19 uh, or whatever it's going around. Yeah. 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 This virus is going around. And so the idea of me going and hanging out with some people and shaking hands and hugging them and then coming home to her in her compromised immune system, you know, that's a dangerous thing to do. Um, so I tend to be um, fairly socially isolated for, you know, personality reasons and then also for, uh, you know, health reasons, for a lot of reasons. Uh, but, but I had come to this point in my life where I realized I was so socially isolated that um, the story I had in my head was this, that should uh, there be a gas leak in the house and uh, Lynn and I died, that, that, it would, you know, our, our bank account and our credit cards would probably continue to auto pay bills for a very long time until finally some credit card expired. And then some poor police officer would come to my home for a welfare check and knock on the door and find out that we didn't answer and then come inside and find our bloated bodies. And then, but our dog would probably be fine because he could feast on our bloated bodies. <laughs> but, you know, so, so that's the story that's in my head. You know, obviously it would be a closed casket funeral, but, you know, so that's the story in my head. But you're catastrophizing the idea that the isolation piece that yes. nobody would kind of come and seek us out because that's not right. the lifestyle that we have. Right, right, right. Which, but, you know. How did that make you feel? How does that story make you feel? Uh, well, anxious. Mm. you know, and depressed. Uh, but, you know, uh, when Michael asked me, and I think this is an interesting point, when he asked me, why do you think that you are depressed? I, I gave him the answer that 
doctors and psychologists have given me over the years when I've gone through cycles of depression, well, my brain is broken. It doesn't produce enough serotonin. Uh, you know, and I, uh, obviously I need to boost my serotonin and, uh, and I will be better. And it's just the way it is. Yes. And so Michael challenged me on that. He, uh, he said, do you mind? Well, actually he didn't push back too hard. He just said, do you mind if I send you something? And I said, no, I don't mind. And what he sent me was some information about a guy named Johan Hari. Uh, and he wrote a book called Lost Connections. Yeah. And, yes. in the, yes. and in the book, he talks about the nine causes of anxiety and depression. And only two of them have anything to do with your brain chemistry or your genes. And so the rest of them are, you know, being disconnected from meaningful work or from other people or from meaningful values or status and respect or the natural world or all these. Um, and what that did for me. Environmental factors, things that are essentially in our control. Right, right. So the thing that it did for me was it gave me a sense of agency about my anxiety and depression. It gave me a sense of control that, that if my depression is caused by, so for example, a lack of connection to the natural world, I can do something about that. You know, if, if my anxiety and depression have something to do with, uh, you know, my lack of connection to, uh, you know, uh, meaning and, and respect and uh, a, a hope for a better future. Like these are things that I feel are within my, my wheelhouse. I can do something about those things. So it, it sent me off on this journey that in 2019, I, I, I put together a experiment, a lifetime project, a whatever you want to call that. And so in 2019, I set a goal to live a year of personal bests. So what would my life look like if I was living my best life in my physical health, in my mental health, in my intellectual, emotional, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what would my life look like? And so that's what I did in 2019. But I'll just pause there and let you talk about that. Yeah, because there's the realization point that actually there's more in your control than you think, which can make you feel hopeful, but equally mm -hmm. it can make you feel like overwhelmed, right? right. Because you're like, yes. how am I supposed to do you? You just gave us some really logical reasons for why you're sometimes socially isolated, right? You've right. got your wife's illness and, and different things going right. on. Um, so, so I'm curious because it makes sense to me completely that we need to sometimes take radical responsibility for our mental health and right. we get attached to the story that clinicians and doctors often perpetuate that you have this diagnosis, this label. And so therefore, you know, just stay in bed. Right. It's okay. <laughs> like we get it. We get it. Stay in bed. You're depressed. You know, yeah. Pull the blanket over your head. <laughs> yeah. Do what you need to do. We get it. And, and I'm all for empathy and connection and understanding that everybody's life experience is different. And I really, really, cause I've been in this, in the, in this place as well. I've realized that there are things we can experiment with. There, there are things that we can practice courage with in order to do to, to change things. And, and I know that your, your life is fundamentally different now. So tell us about that year in a way you were experimenting, right? Right. The things that might allow you to be your personal best. What were right. some of those things?
the first thing I had to do was figure out, okay, if this is going to be best as opposed to not best, what would that look like? Yeah. And so, right. What are those areas and how will I measure them? Uh, and so I, um, and in order to do that, one of the things I had to figure out is, okay, if I'm saying I don't get the point mm-hmm. of what is the purpose of life, right? Um, so I had a personal mission. I felt like I understood my mission. But, you know, um, before we started recording here, I was talking about sort of my business circumstances. I, you know, I have a podcast. I wrote a book. I um, uh, do all these different things. And so as a startup business, one of the things that people talk about is share your content, right? So, you know, content marketing. And, and so just take your heart out and lay it out there for people to see and just, you know, be visible and vulnerable and authentic. And then people will, you will attract your tribe right? By just showing up and being fully you, yeah. you can't hardly help but tra- attract your tribe. And so I bought into this idea. I still kind of buy into this idea with some caveats, right? But what happened was I, you know, I spent like three years with a podcast. I wrote this book. I did all these things. I'm doing, you know, blog posts. I'm doing videos. I'm doing live streams. I'm doing, you know, whatever. Whatever the latest thing that came out, you know, webinars, you, you name it, whatever that thing is that was the latest version of it, um, you know, I was doing it. And I was just really, I, I kind of felt like, here's what I did. I opened up my chest and I took my heart and I laid it out on the sidewalk for people to see. And I go, there it is. This is me. I'm showing up in the world. Vulnerability. Yeah. Here I am, Right. And I kind of felt like the world was sort of stepping over my heart on the sidewalk, you know, like, like I, I was met with a giant yawn. And so one of the things I had to figure out right up front was what is the purpose of all this? Yeah. And so for me, here's how, here's where I landed. I landed that, um, that we are here on earth in order to connect with one another and to make a contribution. And so this, this Johan Hari idea about lost connections and about connecting, it really emphasized that for me. You know, I had always said, be, do, have. If you want to have something, you have to figure out what you're going to do in order to have that. And in order to do those things, you have to figure out, am I the kind of person who will do these things so that they lead to what I want to have? And so, you know, if, if your life goal, and I, I'm just going to make something up, is to have a Maserati, then you have to figure out what do I have to do in order to have that Maserati? And then you have to figure out, am I the kind of person who wants to, who, who wants to do those things? So is that who I am? And so it's be, do, have. So I had said this for years, and it was a construct in my brain. But what I had missed was, it's not just be, do, have. It is be, it is connect with others and then that leads to what you're going to do together and that will help you to have so i had sort of missed a step in there and and so just jump in because it's interesting that you're saying you you were finally in a way being authentic so you were you've been on this quest right to find out who you are what's my voice what do i want to say and then you have all this information and noise that if you want to run a business and attract whatever to, to, to your message, 
that you need to do that on a big pub public platform. And people who don't do that, people who are just like, what do they call it? The the laptop warriors or the keyboard right, warriors, right. how do they call it? Yeah. You can yeah. just, you know, throw shit at people who are putting themselves in the arena to use one of Brene Brown's um, statements. Right, um, right. It, it, like the message you could give yourself is, I've tried to be authentic. I've, I've, people have walked over my heart. Fuck this. Let me go back into my cage, right? And hide out and never, ever be myself again. Right. right? Like that, that's right. the actual feeling that you can have behind the scenes. Right. Um, right. So you, so you realize that there were these components that were missing, but like, how did you learn to look after your heart or to know what, what's the difference between courage and vulnerability and putting ourselves in a platform and boundaries, I guess, for mm. you. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, boundaries is a key word, isn't it? Um, you know, the, one of the first things I, one has to do in order to be well internally, I think, is that my measurement of success cannot come from outside of me, right? Yeah. Yeah. There is that, that, there is that internal acknowledgement of I am okay. I am who I want to be and I need to be. Um, but I think um, um, to kind of, you know, use the framing that I've, I've come up with for me, um, I say that we're here on earth to connect with others and to make a contribution, but one cannot connect and one cannot contribute if you are not practicing self-care. Got it. So invest yeah. in your, that foundation of you. Right. And so, so, it's, um, so I say today three words, thrive, connect, contribute. And so that's the framework I work from. So thrive, connect, contribute. And so on a scale of one to 10, how am I doing in my, let's say in thriving, how am I doing in my physical health, in my emotional health, in my intellectual growth, in my spirituality? Those are the things that I think about from thriving, from the internal. And then when I think about uh, connecting, how am I doing socially? How am I doing within my marriage? How am I doing within my family? In my case, I'm a parent and a grandparent. And so how do I, thanks. Uh, how do I, uh, you know, how am I uh, connecting with uh, my family, in my marriage and socially? And then when it comes to making a contribution, so how am I doing with my vocation, my work, my job, my how I make a living, but also how am I uh, building a financial foundation that takes care of us, but also maybe gives, you know, is enough that I can give some time, talent, and treasure somewhere else. And so then that leads to avocation. So uh, for, for connect, uh, contribution, I think about vocation, financial, and avocation. So those are like, there's three sort of buckets of life, if you will, thriving, connecting, and contributing. And then within the, each of those, there's you know, three or four uh, domains. And then, so what I did was I have a scale of one to 10, where if I'm a one, it looks like this. If I'm a 10, it looks like that. And so where am I today as a self-assessment to say, on a scale of one to 10, you know, how am I doing with my physical yeah, health? And I love that it's, 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 combines this whole person. So rather than goal setting for work or goal setting for fitness, for example, it's thinking about that whole person. How often do you personally like reflect or use this kind of tool? Like what works for you? Right. So for me, it's an annual exercise. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but the, but the point of that then is once I do this scale of one to 10 in these 10 domains within these three buckets, 
seems complex just to try to describe it. But at the end, I end up looking at the trend lines, right? So um, I actually, uh, do you know what a spider graph is? Yes. Sure. So, yeah. Right. So, so, you know, I can, I can see if I, if I plot that all out in a little spider graph, there are places where it sticks out pretty far. So on a scale of one to 10, I'm pretty close to 10, but there are these other places where on a scale of one to 10, I'm a five or a six. And so I can see the flat places, the short places on that graph. And so, um, so then I can make a plan. So uh, on an annual basis, what I do is I measure myself on, on the scale I look at those areas and then I make a plan on what am I going to do about these things. And I think that the mistake I had been making over the, you know, I've been doing this since like 2007. Uh, so when I came to, or actually 2017, I apologize, 2017. So when I came to the end of uh, 2018, what I realized was I had been giving short shrift to that thrive part of it that I had been saying, well, that's important, but it's not the most important thing, right? So I have to grow my business or I have to really work on this relationship or I needed to take care of our finances or, you know, there was something that had me absorbed that caused me to say, this is the thing. And I didn't really pay attention to the, to the flat places and I didn't notice that I wasn't taking care of me. And the result that led you to some of these findings was depression, anxiety, and not seeing the point in anything. Like that yes. was knock-on effect. Yes. So after yeah. this year of experimentation and figuring out, I guess, your formula in a way, um, what's changed? <laughs> Everything, for one thing. You know, uh, I, uh, so there have been some mindset shifts. Um, you know, one, one of the things, I, I didn't really talk about this when I talked about growing up, but one of the things that we often emphasized in my home was don't be above your station, right? Don't think too highly of yourself. That, um, you know, the, the, that humility was a core value in our home, um, which is great when, you know, you, you don't want your ego to be too big and you don't want to, you don't want to be all about you and talking about yourself. You know, my mother loves this phrase, putting on the dog. And I don't even know what that means. I can't picture putting on the dog, but, but what she means when she says it is that person is really putting on airs. That person is really thinking highly of themselves and speaking highly of themselves and maybe a little too much. Um, and, and the, and the threshold of tolerance for that was very low. And what that did then was, as I was coming up through my corporate career, for example, uh, at one point, I was a vice president of a major corporation. You know, we're bringing in billions of dollars. I'm a vice president. And I'm sitting at a table and someone else walked into the room. There, you know, there was the core team at the table and I'm part of this leadership team. And around the edge of the room, there are these other chairs and there are people sitting in those chairs and so someone else came into the room and there was no room at the table. And I stood up and was walking back towards to give my chair up so that that person could sit at the table. And I would just sit around, uh, around the wall because, I mean, it's not that important to me that I sit at the table. And my coworker saw what I was doing, grabbed my arm and jerked me back down into the chair. And she said, hold your seat. And, and that is a great analogy for me. Yeah. Right? 
that, that I had this tendency to say, I am the least important person in this conversation, which is great when it comes to being customer centric and other focused. Yeah. yeah, it shows the humility as, as a leader can have great impact on team building and that sort of thing. But there was a core component that was less healthy that was featuring in other parts of your life. Right, right. Um, so, so I think there were some mindset shifts. You know, you mentioned Brene Brown, and we could talk a little bit about some mindset set shifts I had to have between understand the difference between grief, uh, sorry, understand the difference between guilt and shame. Yeah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> it's huge work, right? So we could talk about that. But, you know, um, what I did was I set a goal for myself in each of those areas, and there's some that are easier to measure than others. Sure. And so if you take, for example, physical health, uh, I, I went to the doctor, I had a complete workup in uh, December of 2018. I went back in December of 2019, I had a complete workup uh, and I did some activities in between. So I went on a plant-based diet and, uh, you know, I, uh, I, took up running in a big way. Uh, in 2019, I ran 1,790 miles. So I'm not quite sure how many kilometers that is, but it's basically the distance from Minneapolis to Miami. You've been doing uh, a lot of running. And I'm just curious about the loop um, on your mood and, and depression and anxiety. And obviously, we can all say exercise and good food helps, mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. has it radically altered your, your state of mind in that sense? I think by taking a holistic approach. Yeah, it's not the one thing and then everything right. else. Yeah, you, and the connection piece. I love that you keep talking about uh, that element, the lost connections. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm curious about how that's played a part. Right. And, you know, so uh, one, of the, one of the things about, you know, I, I looked at these different uh, areas that where how I was doing, I thought about, you know, Johan Hari and all these lost connections and um, you know I made sure that I was building in connecting to other people connecting to the nature etc cetera, etc cetera. so you take something where uh, for example running well I'm in a running club and so we run together we have breakfast together afterwards it's very social uh, and we're running in nature so I'm connecting to nature you know so so what I really try to do was to to take a holistic approach to everything that I was doing and to incorporate as much of those different areas as I could um, I would say today you know my level of anxiety and depression are 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 relatively low right I have I, I'm not really suffering from anxiety and depression, uh, I really feel like I had some breakthrough moments uh, during this year where I, I it's like, I, met, I would say, uh, Petra, I would say primarily a lot of it was, I did all these things, but it was the mental shifts that I had along the way that really helped me to have breakthrough moments. Absolutely. Um, and so sometimes the misconception, we're almost coming to time, but the, the misconception or the fear, especially for an entrepreneur, can be that if I invest in myself and this self-care, this thing that used to be kind of over there but at the bottom of my priority list, if I actually loop that to the top and invest in myself in that way, my business is going to suffer because right. I'm not going to have enough time. I'm like, I'm going to forget stuff and be off like running and socializing and that, like, that, that, that's going to drop off. Like what's yes. your experience just as far as the impact of your business by readjusting your priorities? 
I, I love that you asked that question because I, I almost want to make a video about this. Maybe I will so, soon. I don't know. I want to make a video called um, Everything You Think You Know About Hustle and Grind is Wrong. And That's so, title. yeah, you should definitely make that video. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that there is this sort of internet mythos of all these people who are posting hashtags, you know, hustle and grind until you die or, you know, grinding or hustling. Yeah. yeah. All these hashtags about, look at me, I'm burning the midnight oil. Or if you take it out of the corp, uh, out of that and put it back into the corporate context, you know, the people who answered emails at three o'clock in the morning, they received all this praise and attention and people go, wow, you're busy. And there's almost this sort of badge of honor to say, I only slept three hours last night and look how much I got done and blah, blah, blah. Last year, by focusing on thriving first, then connecting, then contributing, I found that my relationships are better, my uh, health is better, and the bottom line of my business is much better. That we actually grew as a business We grew in income, we grew profit, we grew in clients. Everything grew last year because of this holistic approach that I had where I was saying, I cannot succeed at life. I cannot succeed at connecting and succeed at contributing if I am not taking care of thriving. So it all starts with thrive, then connect, then contribute. I love this so much. It's the, the journey that I'm on and I always need to be reminded to focus on the Thrive first. Tony, we're coming to the end of our time. I'd love you to let people know where they can find you if they want to connect. And I believe you have a book that, you're, that you'd like to offer as well. Tell Absolutely. us about that. Yeah. So uh, first of all, my last name is spelled in an unusual way. It's spelled with one L. My last name is Lloyd. And so if people go to TonyLloyd.com, but they have to spell it T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D, TonyLloyd.com, they can find me and more information about me and what I do. Uh, but um, I, I'm, I'm so grateful to you, Petra, for having me on the show. What I want to do is... Um, if, if people will send me an email and they just have to send it to Tony at TonyLloyd.com, I will send you uh, my book. My book is called Crazy Good Advice, 10 Lessons Learned from 150 Leading Social Entrepreneurs. Uh, it's a bestseller on, on uh, Amazon. Right now, you could go to Amazon and for here in the U.S., I think it's like $19.99. It may be on sale for $14.95, whatever, in U.S. dollars. Um, they can go to Amazon, they can order it, or if they will just send me an email, I will send it to them for free, but I'd like them to uh, mention adversity to advantage in the email and just ask for the book and I will be happy to send it to them. Uh, that's so amazing. Thank you. We will put all of that into the show notes, especially the spelling of your name. So, <laughs> right. And so that they can find you. Tony, thank you so much for your time. I've learned so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Petra. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through PetraBelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information 
on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.